If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. And let's go to chapter 12. We want to look at verses 1 through 11. One of the toughest chapters that pastors consider. Because nobody likes to be told that God will chasten those that he loves. Nobody likes to be told that God will correct those that he loves. And you're going to see an interesting word this morning. Obviously, nobody likes to be told that God would even flog us. That he would scourge us. And we'll get to that passage, but literally, scourging means whipping. Does God whip us? You know, I was thinking of this whole teaching when I was a kid, we were growing up. My grandmother was very good at, at telling us when we misbehave, God is going to get you. And so we would walk around with this concept because we knew we were doing wrong. And that any moment, this hand would come out of heaven with a big mallet and smash us. But I want you to hear the concept. God chastens those that he loves. And he's going to use the description and the example of our earthly parents. Those of us that were disciplined by our parents. And so today in our society, our, psych our psych psychologists, excuse me, can't even say the word. The psychologists are telling us, listen, just give Johnny time out. You know what would have happened to me if my dad would have given me time out? I would have loved it. I'll do time out all day. But my dad knew one concept. Bend over, grab your ankles, here it comes. And I learned the, uh, the hard way, and I learned years ago, God gave us a cushion back here. And when he whip, we get whipped in that cushion, it sends a message to the brain. I'm not going to do that next time. And so if we're Christian this morning, pay attention. God chastens those that he loves. And so let's begin here. We love when we hear God is love. And that is so true. God is love. I'm reminded in John chapter 3, verse 16, we're all familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, God is love. But yet so many times we forget that he is also, listen, the God of wrath and the God of judgment. And we will see this morning that he is the God who chastens. He is the God that disciplines. He is the God that corrects. All those are the same interpretation. We're not to forget that. He chastens those that he loves. Now we find the word chastened this morning in verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8. Verse 10, verse 11. So I sense that the Holy Spirit was trying to bring something forth here. The Greek word for chasten is pais. And it means to train up a child, to educate that child, to discipline that child, to instruct that child, to teach that child. Now, we are supposed to be children of the Lord. So God is going to discipline us. When the time comes. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Now, don't forget the, the book of Proverbs. It's called the book of wisdom. And those of us that are parents, you want to raise your children 
and you want to discipline your children, go through the Proverbs and see what the Proverbs says, how to raise a child. And so in Proverbs 22, verse 6, the Proverbs says, train up or discipline a child in the way he or she should go. And when he or she is old enough, they will not depart. Thank God for God's word. Thank God for his correction in his word. It's important to teach now. God does not punish his children, but he does correct his children. There is a big difference between punishment and correction. Now, if we end up in hell one day, it'll be because we never repented of our sins, and that's punishment. We'll end up in hell, that's punishment. But even then, God did not punish man or woman. We did it to ourselves. You see, hell was never created for mankind. The Bible says that hell was created for the fallen angels. Now, there will be the time that you will be cast into hell if you die in your sins. And then at the conclusion in Revelation chapter 20, imagine this. You'll be taken out of hell, and then you'll be placed into the lake of fire. But I want you to write this down. In Matthew chapter 25... Verse 41, hell was prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. But yet look how many are in hell today. And so let's take heed to the chastening of the Lord. We begin here in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 1 now. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run, and this is the race that we're in as Christians, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul the Apostle, if not, we know that the Holy Spirit gave instructions. The writer is encouraging the church, especially in the times that we live in. Now, the oppression by Rome was great in the early church. But what about the times and the urgency that we live in today? That we know as we look and we identify with Scripture and we see what's going on in the world, the urgency that Jesus could return at any moment. We are surrounded by the witness of good and evil, obviously. So then the writer tells us in verse 1, then strip away that which slows us down, especially sin that hinders our progress towards God. Let us run, and look at the word endurance now. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now when you look at the word endurance, it speaks of patience. So run the race with endurance, which is patience. It also translates strength. It also translates character. So to run that race before us. Now go back real quick to Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 36. The writer says, for you have need of endurance. Brings it back. Again, patience, strength, character. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. The promise of eternal life once we complete our walk with God. So as believers, as Christians, let us remind ourselves, trials 
are going to be a part of our lives. Trials is going to bring that rod of correction. Trials is going to bring that chastening that I need in the Lord. Now, I want you to write this down. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, James says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, and here's that word again, patience, which is endurance and strength and character. Count it all joy. Now, at the moment when I'm going through the trial, at the moment when I'm going through the chastening, uh, through the spanking of God, if you may, the correction of God, and he will correct us. Count it all joy. Especially, you know, as a Christian, there is an end to the trial. In fact, the Bible tells us, and it promises us, that God will never give us any more than we can handle. Now, some of us would respond, because I have, Lord, I've had enough. I can't handle it anymore. And yet, yet God will not give us any more than we cannot handle. And so he's going to be speaking about that. And he brings us back to that place that we've been studying in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. Look at verse 2 now. And he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we're going to study this. We've seen it before. Jesus sits at the right hand of God, the right hand of majesty, and this blows me away. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. It says he sits at the right hand of God, and he makes intercession for me. He makes intercession for you. And so God doesn't give up on us. Now, you might respond, how can God have time for all of us? Because he's God. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. What a beautiful picture here. Now, in verse 2, keep our eyes focused on Jesus on a daily basis. Jesus not only began our faith, he will also finish that faith. Why? Because he endured the cross for us. He despised the shame of the cross for us. And after the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, we know that there was a 40-day post-resurrection. The Bible says he ascends into heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of majesty on high, and he prays for us. Now, we don't see it in the text here, but I want you to study Romans chapter 8, verse 34, that he prays for us. He prays for us. But the Bible says here that Jesus is the author and the finisher of faith. Now, we've been studying Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. It's called the heroes of faith. And I love what has come forth from that teaching. You see, the Bible says Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. And we know now they're scriptural based. He gives us a, a measure of faith. He gives us childlike faith. And I love this one. He gives us mustard seed faith. And so God just wants us to have that faith. And watch what he's going to do in my life and in your life. Now, in that process, there are going to be times that I will be chastened. You will be chastened. There's going to be times that there's trials in my life. If you've been a Christian for a time, you know exactly what I'm speaking about. There is no way that we're going to avoid trials. God uses them in my life and in your life. 
And again, what is he building in me through the trial? What is he teaching me through the trial? He's building endurance, patience, strength, character. And if you're like me, I've responded before. Lord, I have enough character. I don't need any more. And yet he takes us through the trial. Church, everything has a purpose and a place in my life, even sometimes when I question it. And so it's going to be part of our lives. Look at verse 3 now. For consider him, he's speaking of Christ, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own soul. So consider what Christ, Jesus Christ, who endured, he persevered hostility. He persevered through the rebellion from sinful man who came against him. Jesus died for us, and he knew the pain that was before him, the cross. If I know and you know that Jesus paid the full price for me and for you, then let's not become weary and discouraged in our spirit, in our soul. No matter what we're going through as Christians, think about what Jesus went through. I want you to mark this down. It's a beautiful study later in the Gospel of John in chapter 12. It's called a triumphal entry. It's a week before Jesus is going to die on the cross. Now, there's a prophecy in Zechariah, and it says that Jesus would come in to Jerusalem riding on a, a foal of a colt. And in that triumphal entry, they took this small colt, and they placed, you know, the tapestry on it. And then Jesus got on the colt, and he comes into Jerusalem. Remember the scene? It's called a triumphal entry. They knew that this man was somebody. Did they know he was a prophet of God sent forth? No, he was Messiah. Did they know that? Well, they began to cry out. Now, they took palm branches, and they cast them on the road. So we traditionally call this the triumphal entry. We call it Palm Sunday. They took their coats off. And that's what you would do to, you know, royalty. And they began to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, save now. But these same people, listen, church, these same people, fickle man, one week later, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. But crucify him. Jesus knew. He knew that they were going to ridicule him. They were going to chide him. Oh, they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, saved now. But a week later, crucify him. Now, I want you to mark this down. In Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 22, each one describes this teaching. Jesus knows that he's going to the cross. But he spends some time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he cries out to his heavenly Father. And he prays. The Bible says he agonizes in prayer. In fact, the Gospel of Luke said that from his pores, blood came forth. That is humanly possible. The scientists, the doctors tell us today, that's humanly possible when somebody has gone to that place of such despair. And I can honestly say, whatever I've gone through, whatever you've gone through, I have never bled through my pores. 
but Jesus in the agony of the garden because he saw the cross. He knew that the cross was going to be hideous, going to be painful. But yet he went to the cross willingly. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there's three times that he prays, Father, take this cup of death from me, but if not, let not my will be done, but let your will be done. You see, all the animal sacrifices were not sufficient. And man would continue with the animal sacrifices. Jesus, the Bible says, becomes the complete sacrifice. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so he would take on the cross. Consider him. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now, I have this place where when I'm going through the trial, when I'm going through the fire, I find a place of solitude. I find a place which I call my prayer closet. And it's just between me and my God. And I cry out to him. And I seek his face. I seek his direction. And what gets me through the trial, no matter what I'm going through, I look at what Jesus went through. The pain, the sacrifice that he paid for me, for you. And it eases the pain. It doesn't take away. I'm still going through the trial. You're still going through the trial. And some trials are greater than others. We're going to see that this morning. But if I focus on Jesus, I come to that place, I believe, that we can handle it. Look at verse 4. He says, you have not yet resisted uh, to bloodshed. He says, striving against sin. And so listen to the logic. You're a Christian. You're a believer. In my struggle and your struggle concerning our sin nature, we have not shed any blood. Oh, we might go through our trials. But I can honestly say I have not shed blood. I don't believe any one of us here this morning has ever shed blood for our sins. Yes, there are those who have been martyred for the sake of Christ, for being believers in a third world country. But even then, it was not for their sin, but their belief in Jesus Christ. You read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's an excellent read, and it's all about the suffering of Christians. We've just been studying Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. And we came to the conclusion, especially in our last teaching in Hebrews 11, how many died for their faith? But you see, this morning, not one of us has ever shed an ounce of blood for our salvation. You see, Jesus paid the full price. And we need to understand that. But it doesn't say that we're not going to suffer. We're not going to go through trials. We're going to go through the fire. I want you to write down these verses. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. They, will, they persecuted me. They will also persecute you. He had to warn the early church, and still the church for the last 2,000 years. In 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 12, listen to what Paul said. All who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 21, we know that Peter suffered. Peter says, this is your calling. 
Jesus Christ suffered for you, leaving us, listen to this, an example that we should follow his steps. You see, I've read all these texts. I've studied all these. I've taught them. But I can honestly tell you, I still don't like my trials. They hurt. They're painful. And then especially when it's my family, especially when it's somebody close in the ministry. And we see it constantly. I dread the phone calls at 3 o'clock in the morning because you know it's not good. Somebody's going through the fire. Jesus said, if I suffered, you're going to suffer. If I went through trials, you're going to go through trials. If I went through hardships, you're going to go through hardships. If I've gone through pain, you're going to go through pain. Anguish, and the list goes on. Now listen to this. Some of us have even endured death. My dad passed away. Mary's dad passed away. Oh, I've had uncles and aunts passing away. As I'm getting older, it just seems that, you know, when my mom calls, I say, Mom, who died? Because that seems to be the rhetoric. And so it's part of our lives. Now, look at verse 5. He comes into this area. And he says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons, children. In other words, we're part of the family. We're one of God's kids. My son, do not despise. And here's the first mention, the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. Remember the writer is addressing the Hebrew Christians, and they were being heavily oppressed by Rome, they knew all about persecution. And so have you you forgotten the exhortation? Listen, the word exhortation, have you forgotten the comfort that comes, uh, that's given as you are a son or a daughter of God? You're an heir of God. You have heirship. This is all part of your heritage. What is part of my heritage? Suffering. Now he says, my son. And so we know that Jesus is his son, but then he calls us his son also. And so he's speaking about a relationship. If we're truly born again of the Holy Spirit, we're one of God's kids. <laughs> then if we are one of God's kids, let's do what he says in verse 5. Then do not despise, do not scorn at, or think small of the chastening. And don't forget the translation of the word chastening. Don't forget the discipline of the Lord. Our supreme God sometimes has to take us through the fire. Besides that, do not be discouraged. Don't faint when you are rebuked, convicted, admonished, reproved by him. Again, sometimes we go through the fire, church. God disciplines his children out of love. Listen to that. He disciplines us out of love, not hatred, not anger, not malice, not payback. Not payback. Don't do that. God's going to get you. And you walk around on, like walking on eggshells. God does not do that, church. The disciplines of God in my life 
are for correction. They're not punitive measures. In other words, God doesn't punish his, but he will correct us. He will chasten us. He will discipline us. Now, my dad disciplined us. Some of you, your dad's disciplined you. But obviously, my dad never killed me. Even though we swear, you're going to kill me this time. I know you are. The chastening of the Lord. Now, look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Underline that. And I know what you're saying. Wait a minute. You don't know what I'm going through. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges. He takes it another step. Every son, again, you belong to the family, whom he receives. Those that God loves. The word is agape. He divinely loves you. He will discipline. He will correct you. And then he takes it further. He will scourge you. And the word to scourge, he's going to flog you. Every son or daughter he receives. Now the word to receive, that he delights in you. Okay, so let's, let's take the scenario here. You're telling me, Pastor Bob, he disciplines those that he loves with a divine love. He loves me, then he's also going to flog me because he delights in me? All this because I'm one of his? What does the Holy Spirit mean here when he uses the word to flog someone? Because the translation is to be whipped. Now, as I was looking at this, and I believe the Holy Spirit was showing me, we know that Jesus received 40 stripes with a cat of nine tails. That was a whip that they would use. It would have nine strands. And at the end of each strand, usually they tied a piece of stone or a piece of metal to it. And so when it whipped and then it pulled back, it tore off flesh. And it's a hard concept to come by. But Jesus was chastened heavily. He was flogged with 49 or 40 stripes. 39, actually. They saved one. So the Jews disciplined, listen, a prisoner. According to the Mishnah, they would take a three-strand whip, and they would whip them across the chest and the upper back. And so the Mishnah said they would take 13 stripes across the chest area, turn them around, and there would be 13 more stripes across the shoulders. So what we see is a picture here. That the Lord chastens, listen, he disciplines some more than others. That's all he's saying. Because I've gone through my trials, you've gone through your trials. But physically, nobody's ever whipped me. I've never been scourged for the gospel's sake. Now, there are some that are persecution and such. Third world countries, you may. But my trials... You mean God chastens those that he loves, and then there's others that are going to even be flogged? What he's trying to say is that there are Christians that go to stronger, go through stronger trials than other Christians. It's amazing. You watch it. I said, Lord, I see what they're going through, and that's pretty bad. I mean, they're really hurting right now. But then I see this one over here, and it's greater. And yet the Bible says he'll never give us any more than we can handle. The chastening 
of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son whom he receives. He delights in each one of us, and sometimes we have to be reprimanded. Now, the writer of Hebrews, I love this. He's taken direct quote from the Old Testament. Write this down. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, and I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. The proverb says, now the proverb is a book of wisdom. Dads, you should be using the book of wisdom and the chastening and the bringing up of your children. He says in Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12, My child, don't ignore. Don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you. And don't be discouraged when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those that he loves. Just as a father, a biological father, corrects a child in whom he delights in. Correction is part of my life. Correction is part of your life. Now, when I'm going through it, when you're going through it, it's not easy to receive. Lord, this isn't fair. Why am I going through this? And the response to that is because God loves you. We have a gentleman in the first service. He met me after crying, and he says, Pastor Bob, thank you. He's going through the fire right now. He has cancer. He was in remission for about seven, eight years, and it's come back, and we're praying for him. His PSA count was 242, and it's down to seven points. That's a miracle of God. That's a miracle of God. And he admits it that through this trial, he's become stronger in the Lord stronger in his faith and is he ready to go home if God takes him home physically and death yes but he's rejoicing sometimes God chastens us to that point other times I've, I've been with Christians I've prayed with them and I see God take them home I see God take them home my child don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't dis be discouraged when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those that he loves, just as a father corrects a child whom he delights in. Look at verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. Again, we're children of the king. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If we truly love our children, now I'm talking to parents, as God loves us, we correct our children, don't we? We discipline our children, don't we? We correct our children, as God sometimes has to correct us. The proverb speaks about correction. I want you to write down these two proverbs, because it, it speaks to my heart. Proverbs tell us, do not spare the rod. And so in Proverbs 22, verse 15, foolishness, which speaks of folly, is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. You know, I know for a fact my dad did not read Scripture when I was being raised, but he knew how to apply that rod of correction, man. I asked him later, I go, Dad, did you read that? Nope. I got it from my dad, and you get it from me. <laughs> our children today across our nation are suffering 
because there is no correction in their life. Listen, Johnny is not going to be disciplined if you give him five minutes. You take away his cell phone. You take away, you know, his we. I mean, there's so much out there. What happened to the oatmeal box with a string? That was our cell phone. The kids have too much. I'm sorry. And how many TV stations do we need? Didn't those of us in Southern California, I think we had six, didn't we? Six or seven. And you know, when TV was over, the Indian would come out. I remember that. It's time to go to bed. And then we would switch to all the other channels. Remember, we had pliers on ours. That's how we turned. Some of you guys the same, huh? Rabbit ears, a couple of hangers. The hangers didn't work, aluminum foil. Anyway, I'm going too far back. Foolishness, folly, is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. The next proverb, Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and the, re the rebuke gives wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Radical statement. And in the last 30 years of my Christian walk, I have seen everything. Everything. And if we do what the scripture says, then God is going to honor it. And we're at the time now, and I believe it's coming. I remember when one of our daughters came home, Mayfield High School. You know what they told us at school today, Dad? I can divorce you. Go for it. Let's see where your next meal comes from. There's the, you know, I don't have a garage. I have a utility room. I, there it is. Go, go sleep there. I can divorce you. Well, you, you can go to jail if I hit you, if they find me. But this is a society we're living in. But look at verse 6 again. It reflects back to verse 7. For whom the Lord loves, for whom the Lord agapes, he will chasten. He will chasten. Now, verse 8 says it all. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers of, then you are illegitimate. And you're not a son. You're not a daughter. Radical statement. And as we come to verse 8, I put these thoughts down. If you're listening to all of this thus far, these first eight verses, and inside you're saying, this preacher's crazy. What's he talking about? I have never been flogged. I have never been chastened. I have never been disciplined by God. You know, basically, you guys are all crazy. The Bible says, if not, then you're illegitimate. You're without a heavenly father. Oh, you might have a biological father. Uh, even if you were orphaned or abandoned somewhere, you had a dad. He might still be alive or he might even be dead, but you had a biological dad. Now, listen to the New Living Translation, verse 8. If God does not discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and you're not really his children after all. 
Now you have a King James, strong word. You're a bastard child. That's what the King James says. Radical statement. Now I want you to turn to this passage. In John chapter 8, verse 44, let me set it up for you. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. And they're boasting, we are Abraham's seed. I mean, we're part of the Sanhedrin. We're Pharisees. We're Sadducees. I mean, we might even be a scribe. I mean, I've arrived. And listen to what Jesus says, such a rebuke. In John chapter 8, verse 44, I want you to read the whole concept, but just to, to bring the teaching together here. They had already screamed, we are Abraham's seed. Then Jesus says to them, you are of your father, the devil. Remember, these are religious leaders. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Listen, the polls are telling us today somewhere between 85, 89% of the United States of America claim to be Christian. I find it hard to believe. The Bible says you need to be born again of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says there needs to be change in your life. The Bible says you're a new creation when you come to Christ. And the Bible says in Matthew 7, not all that say, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of God. The percentile might be up there. But are you truly born again of the Holy Spirit? God chastens. Listen. God corrects. God disciplines those that he loves. And if you say there's no discipline from God in your life, then you're illegitimate. You're not his. You're like these religious leaders. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 9 now. Furthermore, we have had human fathers, biological fathers, who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Now, I look back. My dad's gone. He's, he's with the Lord. Now he passed away. But I thank the Lord now. I know better. I thank the Lord for his chastening. And he did it with love and compassion and grace even though at the time I did not agree. And so this is what he's saying. Furthermore, he says, we have had human fathers, biological fathers, who corrected us. We paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection or submission? Subjection to the Father of the Spirit and life. Earthly dads have the authority, the privilege, the call to exercise their fatherly correction, discipline. And we know it's for a short time. Now just use the scenario. We have our children for 18 years. But I use the other scenario. As long as they're living under my roof and they're eating my food and living under the bills that I pay, then they're going to obey. They're going to obey. I remember when I turned 16, I got my license. I asked my dad. I said, Dad, can I have a car? He said, sure. Go buy one. <laughs> I said, 
you know, dad, come on. There's kids at school. They're dead. Go to work. I mean, it just didn't happen overnight, right? So, to the best of my ability, we're to train up our children. Dads, you're a Christian. Mom, you're a Christian. Be careful with the secular psychologists. Don't spank them. You're going to hurt them. You're going to put a scar in them. And I go, man, I wish my dad would have heard that. <laughs> I recently received an email from one of the girls that used to come to our church. She went to Bible college. And then after Bible college, uh, she's going to regular college now. And uh, she emailed and she says, I want you to know what my professor said today. My professor says, we're not to spank our children. By spanking our children, you're lowering their IQ. And she put, I guess my kids are going to be stupid. <laughs> I love that. I says, you know what you got? Go, girl. Beautiful. I love that. We have a responsibility to raise our children, if you're a Christian, in the ways of the Lord. I'm doing this because I love you. Now, I didn't understand that when it was told to me years ago. Yeah, you love me. You sure have a weird way of showing it. But it's part of being raised, isn't it? Now... Their lives and their spiritual lives, I believe, it's our responsibility. Don't give up on your children. Our children are all moved out now. And I thank the Lord that they're serving God. And I ask them. And I email them. And I give them scripture. You see, salvation is on a responsibility of each one. It's a personal relationship. You're not saved because mom and dad are saved. You have to come to the cross. And so we must train up the children in the ways of the Lord. Look, look at verse 10 now. For they indeed, for a few days, again, uh, let's say that 18-year span, chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Our earthly dads disciplined us, chastened us, corrected us, for that few years span, 18 years, let's use that number, to the best of their ability, dads, you're Christian, don't listen to them. I mean, teach them the word of God. It is so important, again, the Proverbs. The Proverbs 20. Uh, there's a scripture that I missed. That's why I want to get back to it. Now, our place is to train up the children. When I get to heaven, I would love to see my family there. I think when you get to heaven, you would love to see your family there. It is so important to see this. Now, I want you to write this down. Matthew chapter 25. And I want you to study it when you get home. Verses 14 through 29. It is called the parable of the talents. And I believe most of you, at one time or another... You have gone through this teaching. 
there's a master and he had three servants. And to the first servant, he gave five talents. To the second servant, he gave two talents. And to the third servant, he gave one talent. And he said, put the talents to work for me. And we know the story. The first one brought back a ten uh, talents. He doubled what the master gave him. The second one brought back four, doubled what the master gave him. But we know that the third servant brought back the same talent. Now to the first two, he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of the Lord. Enter the presence of God. And so you did your work. You did your job. You did your ministry. But to that third servant, the one that buried the talent, and when the master came, he took it out of the earth and gave it back to him. He rebuked him. And he took that talent, gave it to the other one, said, put it to work for me. And he cast that unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there was wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a radical statement when you think about that. You see, God wants to lead us to holiness, to righteousness, to a walk with him. And sometimes we have to be chastened on the way. Sometimes we have to be corrected on the way. Sometimes we have to receive, listen, harsh instruction on the way. But you see, God wants us to that place of holiness. The word is hagios in the Greek. And it means to be separated from the world, but now consecrated to God. You see, God wants us to come into righteousness. Now, I am not righteous. You are not righteous. But God wants us to come into that place of righteousness. And righteousness is only through Christ. Now, the best way to understand righteousness, you see, before I came to Christ, before you came to Christ, we were unrighteous. And to better understand that, I was wrong living for God. But now I come to the born-again experience. I come to the place of, of knowing that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I am saved. And he dispenses upon me, upon you, righteousness. I am now right living for God. And he calls me into that place of holiness. I am not holy, and neither are you. But because of Christ, he brings us to the place of holiness. He brings us to the place of righteousness. And again, as an earthly dad, we're to train up our children. We saw the proverb, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, in the way she should go. When they are old, they will not depart. Instill in them God. I mean, the world has them. They learn everything else while you're brainwashing your child. When they get to be a, of the age, then they can choose. No, they're children. They need to be taught the Word of God. <laughs> I remember the first time, you know, I told my mom, Mom, can you iron me a shirt? You know, Mom? Mom says, sure. Well, my dad caught it. My dad goes, let him iron it. And I didn't know how to iron it. Let him iron it. I went to school with a plancha mark in the back. I ironed my shirt. Teach the children. Teach them. Now we come to the conclusion. Verse 11. Now no chastening seems to be joyful 
for the present. Who can say it's joyful when you're going through what you're going through? But it's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields, listen, peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No chastening, no correction, no discipline, no trial is joyful at the time that it's going on, that it's happening. To the contrary, it's painful. Listen to the Greek word. It's grievous. It brings heaviness of sorrow to our hearts, to our souls, to our very spirit. But afterward, when it's over with, it brings deliverance. It brings peaceable. The word is quietness and rest in God. It brings forth fruit. In Galatians 5.22 and 5.23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But it starts with agape love. And that's why the Scripture reads, God chastens those that He loves. God chastens those that He loves. The trials bring us to that righteousness, right living with God. Why? Because we have been trained. We have been taught the Word of God. We have been trained to exercise in and through God. God takes us through the fire. And the promise is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, we've shared this in time past, but it just seems to come back into focus. In Daniel chapter 3... The Old Testament, the three Hebrew children, these are Daniel's friends. They're cast into the fiery furnace. And don't forget, we mentioned they were bound together. And they heated the furnace up seven times more, so much that those that cast them in were burned up. And the king goes back up to the ridge of the, of the hill there, and he could see the fiery furnace. And he says, didn't we not put three men in there? Yes. Didn't we not bind them? Yes. But they're loosed. And they're walking in the fire. And then they say, there's a fourth man. I don't care what trial we're going through. The Bible says, these are the words from God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you through the fire. That fourth man was Jesus. It's a Christophany. Of Jesus Christ, I believe, in the Old Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We know the story of Job. And we know that Job's wife said, curse the God that you serve. Look at you. You're a mess, Job. You got boils from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. You got a piece of pottery and the best you could do is scratch it. I can't imagine a boil, I mean, all the way down from the top to the bottom of your, the, your head to your feet. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knew his place. There's another passage, and I believe it's Job 15, 13, or check my dyslexia, it could be 13, 15. And Job says, though he slay me, though he slay me, I will trust in him. A radical statement. 
radical statement. Wednesday morning, I was asked to do a funeral service. A beautiful woman, Mrs. Flores, from Anthony, Texas, 93 years old. Two years ago, her daughter has been getting our CDs. And one of the girls that comes to our church has been witnessing uh, to that daughter. And you see how it goes down the line. Mrs. Flores, before the Alzheimer's took over, they asked her to receive Christ. She did. And I can tell you, she went home to be with the Lord. And they didn't have a regular funeral service. They had a memorial service. And I told the people, this is Mrs. Flores. This is her carcass. This is an empty shell. Her spirit and her soul have gone to be with the Lord. And she's no longer in pain. And so God gives us, each one of us, a way of escape. He chastens us. He takes us through the fire, and sometimes it's even through death. Now, we learn from it. And God, again, remember, he's strengthening us. He's building our character. And, and we're drawing closer to God. Trust him as you're going through what you're going through. Let's pray. Father, as we stand in awe of your promises, Lord, I thank you what the scripture says, that God chastens those that he loves. And Lord, I pray this morning that each one of us, I hope that we're, there's not one illegitimate person here, but there might be. Maybe you're here this morning with every eye closed every head bowed. Maybe you're here this morning and you still haven't come to Christ. I would love to give you that opportunity. Right there where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to come up, but right there where you're at. If you'd like to receive Christ, I want you to raise your hand and I'll say a, a simple prayer of faith with you. Anybody here would like to receive Christ. I don't want you to leave without that opportunity. Real quick, anybody. Praise the Lord. Then if we're all Christian. We give God the glory. Let's finish our prayer. Father, bless your beautiful people now, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. And, Lord, we're even grateful for our trials, Lord, because they're teaching us. They're teaching us to persevere, draw closer to you. And so bless your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.